You are listening to Faithless Brewing, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the Spike Road. Each week we design new decks for tournament play. We put our creations to the test and share our findings on the air. Coming up on the brew session, Diabolic Intent brings the power of Demonic Tutor to anyone willing to make the sacrifice. Will this usher in a new era of combo in Modern and Pioneer? Then on the flashback, testing results with Arcane Proxy. That's all coming up on Faithless Brewing. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, and I am joined by Zach Ryle. He is Mana Symbol Online. What's going on, Zach? It's getting cold, man. It's below zero degrees. I enjoyed several weeks of uh, biking into the city of Toronto, and I think those days are now well behind us. Yeah, my bike's in the basement. The, that dream is dead. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed it. It was such a great way to just like wake up in the morning, spend like an hour and 45 minutes on the bike, and then go play a magic tournament. Oh. Well, all good things are not meant to last, except for our CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is Caden Online, Daniel Shriver. What's going on, Dan? I promise I will never die. How are you doing, David? <laughs> If you do, we will kill you <laughs> as punishment. <laughs> oh. Good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah, we are in uh, week two of the uh, Brothers release. We uh, have a big show today. We're going to talk about Arcane Proxy, which was the focus of our brewing from last week. And this week, we are going to talk about Diabolic Intent, a card that multiple grinders were insisting would be banned in modern banned in pioneer of course it will be neither of those grinders don't seem to care very much about formats but first we want to do a little housekeeping at the top uh and just a reminder if you enjoy the show uh, and you want to support us the best way to do that is to go to patreon.com faithless brewing join at whatever level you feel comfortable at you get access to the discord you get to vote on the newest car to brew around and that's coming up is that not correct dan oh yeah definitely uh we've had a bit of a gap with the seasons changing but we'll be wrapping up uh project joda from last time and picking a new card just around the corner yeah once Zach can't uh bike into toronto anymore he has to uh start brewing around a new card so those are the the seasons <laughs> It's a natural. It's a natural thing. It's, yeah, it's the order beautiful in its way. You know, it's <laughs> biblical. Biblical. All right. So the card of the week: Diabolic Intent. Walk us through it. Diabolic Intent. One in a black sorcery as an additional cost to cast this spell. Sacrifice a creature. Search your library for a card. Put it into your hand. Then shuffle. No revealing. Nothing like that. It's just demonic tutor. But you have to sacrifice something. This card was first printed in Plane Shift. It's an ancient card. Ancient, ancient card. I want to say Weatherlight. I, I know the set is the, is this is Swirling Circle. Yeah, the set after Invasion. So very, very yeah, old yeah. Set. Plane Shift. 
Plane shift. And at the time, it was just like, oh, this is worse than Demonic Tutor, which a card, which was in recent memory at that time. So I don't know that anyone ever seriously thought about what happens if you are allowed to play with this in a modern one-on-one format. I was shocked to see this included in, the, in Brothers War. Shocked and also confused, because it's not immediately obvious how powerful it is. It's very simple, right? Just tutor for something and have something to sacrifice. So there's almost nothing to say about it from that perspective. But when it's time to actually build a deck around it, I mean, how do I know whether my deck can play Diabol Content or should play or wants to? Yeah, I thought you and Mord made, uh, made some great points when you were talking about this card. I think this showed up on your overrated list, Dan. I don't know which format you're referring to, maybe both. But as you pointed out, you know, the immediately, I think the reaction bifurcated into two groups. One was, this card is like Demonic Tutor. Demonic Tutor is broken. Two mana tutors are broken. And the other one was like, magic is super tempo-oriented now. You can't just pay two extra mana for whatever random effect. And sacking a creature is not a zero cost, right? You can't just cast this on turn two. You have to have played something on turn one first. And... um you know, as you and more point out, like for this to be better than Deadly Dispute, that card has to be better than two random cards and a treasure. And the sorcery speed means it can never be cast in response to removal. So that's actually like a non-trivial challenge, right? A lot of dings. Yeah, absolutely. But we like a challenge. We're up for it. And I think so are a lot of people because this has been one of the high profile cards. Everyone was talking about it. Uh, on our Monday show, we looked at some of the early results from the first week or half week of results, and there were some Diabolic Intent lists, which uh, we'll talk about today. But let's start with you, David, because you're starting from a fresh slate, and we tasked you, almost against your will, <laughs> make a Diabolic Intent happen. And you're focusing on Pioneer, so where did this thought process take you? Well, the common complaint about Pioneer from people who don't know anything about it is that there's a set of cards in each deck that is so much better than all the other cards, right? So the complaint is if the, my opponent draws those cards um, or card or cards in the right order, then their deck is super powerful. But if not, they're playing these very mediocre, right? Like barely standard playable cards. So if that is true of Pioneer, man, Diabolic Intent should be sweet because according to these people, the average card quality in these decks is not very good. So trading... You know, a one drop maybe gives you something when you sacrifice it for this tutor to find the, the, the best card is very important. Um, another thing you guys mentioned in Pioneer specifically is Eldritch Evolution can find creatures much more efficiently than Diabolic Intent. It puts them directly into play, um, so it saves a bunch of mana. It's much more tempo positive. So you need to have this in a deck where if you're trying to assemble a combo, at least one piece of the combo is not a creature and um or maybe both but at least one and then you need to have you need to play in a deck that already wants to have some number of creatures in play uh because this doesn't do anything if there isn't a creature in play but also wants to have those creatures not in play because they're sacrificing them so they can't be too important. right so so that is the thing right you don't want to just play this in a deck with like lanoir elves or something right i'm t- i'm spending a whole turn to play the elf because i want it to function as a land for the rest of the game um just sacking it later to do something might be worth it but then you have to you have to kind of prove that right why is that better than deadly dispute what specific card are you finding that is so much better than two random cards off the top of your deck and a, and a treasure yeah absolutely so combos essentially you you need to have some kind of combo 
Yeah, there aren't uh, one-offs in the format of Pioneer that are so good because the decks are a lot less linear, right? You could imagine Diabolicking, uh, Diabolic Intenting in a deck that was already using Diabolic Intent for some proactive use. But you could imagine in a post-board game, for instance, um, finding Chalice on turn two, right? I, I, I am actually just sacking my elf because Chalice is so much better than the rest of what my deck's doing against Living End or something. Um, but there's no card that does that. You can't just find a card at any mana cost, really. There's just like beats mono green that just beats red black, um, that beats uh, red blue phoenix. There are cards that are very good against them, but it's very tempo negative to to do this. So it, it really has to be doing a lot. So it's much better searching for your proactive finisher. Yeah, I mean, of course, it's going to make cyborg cards better. That that's that's certainly true. So that's something we should keep in mind for any deck, right? Is okay, maybe it's a little bit clunkier in the main deck, but if I'm really looking for card X, Y, or Z to beat another deck, uh, this this does find your um, you know graveyard hate as soon as turn two. So it sounds like if I'm going to build an intent deck, my intent should be to find the combo primarily. I'm going to be focused on that. However, because I'm going to play these tutors, I might want to include like a few situational interactive tools, let's say. And it's black, so you're definitely going to want your thoughts sees your push. Yeah, it turns on push, that's nice. And maybe a few other cards, if you can think of a few. And like you're saying, David, post-board, you know, post-board, you actually know exactly what cards you want to find for the matchup. I think so. But that's like not the primary use of the intent, that's just like the emergency use. Yeah, exactly. You know, there there are some times when you need to uh, find some specific card you're going to die, and then it's nice that you have that option. But you do, want, I think, you want a proactive way to use this card. Uh, other, otherwise, I don't think it's worth it. Okay, well, let's see how that looks. All right, so the first list I have here is Grease Fang. Now, Grease Fang is basically coalesced into an Abzan uh, color pattern, and the reason why is people are playing uh, Wayfinder and Grizzly Salvage. Now, Wayfinder is a bad card, but Grizzly Salvage is quite good. And Chariot. Yeah, so Chariot is like the fair plan. So if we play Mono Black as part of our setup, then we don't need the green cards as part of our setup. So are there better fair cards to compete with Chariot if we want to add a third color? And my answer is possibly yes, because I think Blood Tithe Harvester and Fable of the Mirror Breaker, which we get to play eight of, is better than four Chariots um, by quite a bit, actually. I think Blood Tithe Harvester is a much better fair card. It's much more interactive, pressures Planeswalkers earlier, and then it gives you the out to um, protect your discarded Parhelion from sorcery speed discard, because you can always sack your um, blood at end of turn. And Fable just moves cards around, you know, as, as Dan's pointed out, since the card was printed. You put the cards that you want in your graveyard, it helps you find the cards that you want in your hand. Uh, and it just gives you natural ramp, right? Fable on two, if they don't kill a creature, you just get to cast uh, Sky Sovereign, like the hard, the hard way next turn. And uh, Resolve Sky Sovereign, as we found in this format, is, is quite powerful, because fundamentally, uh, this is a mid-rangey format. So Diabolic Intent is important here. It tutors for Parhelion, which is the one card that um, Black Green can't tutor for. It's just hoping to mill it randomly. It has very few ways to actually discard. So I have Citrus Supplier and Gnawing Vermin. These are both cards that put cards in the graveyard. So we can still get lucky and put a Parhelion in our graveyard. Obviously, you have the Nut Draw of Citrus Supplier. You cast Diabolic Intent, Sack Supplier. You can see what you mill first. If it's Parhelion, you can get... 
Grease Fang. If you already have Grease Fang in your hand, you can get the one of Thoughtseize and then you just wait a turn and then Thoughtseize them and cast Grease Fang. Um, I have a handful of one offs as Dan inferred one Fatal Push, one Dreadbore, one Can't Stay Away, one Sky Sovereign. Um, and then the Gnawing Vermin is also relevant on the play against Mono Green. It allows you to do your tutor thing while killing their elf, um, which is not trivial. That's super interesting. Gnawing Vermin was a card I missed really in the in the new set, but I ran into it last night in a reanimator deck. So it's a single black for a 1-1. One, one. When it enters the battlefield, you mill target player two, I believe. Yeah, target player two. When it dies... Uh, if, you, if you ever get the chance to mill out your opponent, that is going to be sweet. I, yeah. I can't imagine it happening, but... Well, there used to be inverter decks. Yeah, you, you could get it. It would be really sweet against inverter, honestly. Right. Uh, and then when it dies, you give target creature you don't control uh, minus one, minus one. It's almost festering goblin text, but slightly better. So that slot could be uh, Voldar and Epicure. Mm-hmm. It's possible that card is better. Red on turn one is not something I want to worry about as much. Oh, the other thing is you get to play the full uh, suite of eight fast lands in this last list, um, which is not tri- which is again not trivial. But uh, Epicure, I think, is is a better card than Gnawing Vermin, but it's worse for all your nut draws. So you kind of have to just make a decision there. I I, I have not played with Gnawing Vermin, so I, I'm not confident it's better or worse than Epicure at this point. Yeah, they're certainly different in this case. Shambling Gas, is that useful? Or is that just the worst Gnawing Vermin? In this list, I think it's a worse Gnawing Vermin. Putting card, random cards in your graveyard is very good. If you have Can't Stay Away, mm. which we do, then Grease Fang to your graveyard, again, makes your combo doable. It's a four-mana combo, right? If we imagine with Diabolic Intent, we can Intent for a Can't Stay Away. That's not that inexpensive. You know, you're typically only going to go off on turn four anyway, so... I think in general, I love Shambling Gas. I think I've played it more than almost anybody. But in this list, I think it's worse. You don't need the mana. And the milling is very real. Okay, so if I had to compare this Mardu version to the more popular Abzan version, we have four Diabolic Intent where Abzan plays Eldritch Evolution. So we have the same quantity of tutors. Our tutor is slower, but it can get the Parhelion, as David is saying, which Abzan can't do. Abzan has more blind mill. Because in addition to Stitcher Supplier, they have the Wayfinder, they have Witherbloom Command, they have, I don't know if they play Salvage or not. They're better at putting blind cards in the graveyard. This version, because of red, we are better at specifically filtering our hand through Fable, through Blood Tokens. So we're better at controlling our draw and discard. The green version has Chariot, this version has the Harvester and the Fable for the Fair Plan. Does that basically sum it up? Yes. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. The Abzan deck does not play for Eldritch Evolution, just as FYI. So we have way more tutoring than they do. Why they don't do that is not known to me. Is it the double green? Are they playing mana elves? I'm guessing. Again, it's not trivial. The third color is very, very real. I uh, Yes, I'm distinctly aware. It's, yeah, it's tough. And because it doesn't find both parts of the combo. I, I think it's not that hard to get... Agree, saying if you're just going to mill a bunch and they typically play two to three stay, can't stay aways, finding the grease bang is not as hard because uh, they're just hoping they can blindly mill it, they can mill it and it can't stay away, right? And just do it on turn five. So, but yeah, they all they all play four grizzly salvage, by the way, Dan. It's the best card in the deck. Gotcha. It's m- much better than Wither Bloom Command. It's, it's not close. 
All right, so that is Mardu Greasefang, our first Diabolic Brew. The next list you have here stays in Rakdos colors. Yeah, so we know that there's already a red-black Sakdos deck, we've heard it called. It's really fallen out of favor now, I'm guessing because artifacts are just much worse with Mono Green's Rise, because they're just naturally playing Karn. Um... So again, we have a bunch of fodder here. We have Claim the Firstborn to feed our Diabolic Intent. We have I'm playing four Unlucky Witness in this list. We have three Cauldron Familiar. Again, four Blood Tithe Harvester. Um, a one of Anvil. That makes creatures that we can sacrifice. Uh, we have a one Woe Strider. That makes an extra creature that we can sacrifice. Uh, and then we just have a bunch of like tutorable type of targets if we want them. Only one Anvil. We don't have to go all in on Anvil, so we're not as weak to Karn. But when it's good, it's very good. One of Dreadbore that kills Karn, very relevant uh, for all the reasons I just outlined. Um, one Korvald. Korvald is great, right? As soon as it's you have five mana, it's by far the best card in the sack de deck. But you don't. You see these like green decks play three of them or whatever, and we've all beat them when they've been stuck with cards in their hand. And then one of a Crow and War again. It's a card you don't want too many of, but when you really want it, it's very powerful. And yeah, so this deck is not trying to answer is Deadly Dispute better than Diabolic Intent. It's playing both uh, the full suite of Deadly Disputes, obviously making the treasure very useful with Mayhem Devil, very useful to ramp up to Korvald. And then Diabolic Intent is basically just your extra sacrifice effects. Instead of the uh, one black sorcery destroy target creature Planeswalker sacrifice a creature or the one black instant sacrifice a creature draw two cards, this is kind of taking the place of that and it's giving you a wider suite of cards uh, in, your, in your deck. I love to claim the firstborn their creature and then sack it to my diabolic intent. <laughs> How sweet would that be? Yeah, in a Crone War, you keep it for a couple turns, right? So you Crone War, take their creature, block with it. Next turn, attack with it, then sack it. <laughs> you can also take bigger things in that case, too. Yeah, exactly. So how does this like, actually win? I mean, I see the grindy elements. I see the Witches of and the Cauldron Familiar. So I, I know I'm in it for the long haul. Mayhem Devil, that's a four of here. I assume that's when you start turning the corner. Like, you're not playing that many Oni Cult Anvils. You just have the one. Yeah, so, like, when people complain about decks having cards are way better than every other card, this is the deck they're talking about. Mayhem Devil, if you've assembled the Cauldron Familiar Oven thing, is just an insane engine, right, that it's hard to interact with. So that's our main tutor targets. We're not actually looking for these one-ofs. We're looking for what we're missing, right? We don't have to play all four Cauldron Familiars because we can tutor for it if we're missing it. We can find our oven. We can find our devil. So that's just our default is if we're looking to tutor something, we're looking to complete that, uh, you know, holy trinity and then just go to town. So I did see a couple Rakdos sacrifice decks or Sakdos decks in the Pioneer 5-0s from week one experimenting with the same line of thinking. What if, in addition to my daily disputes, I also put some Diabolic Intents in. And just comparing these lists, it turns out there's a bunch of cards that play in this space and they can choose different options at each slot. So like where you have the Unlucky Witness, uh, this player, Joao Claudioms, I don't know how to pronounce that, was playing uh, Valderan Epicures instead. They were playing the full playset of Oni Cult Anvils. They were actually playing Kari Zev's Expertise instead of Acclaim the Firstborn, which is kind of cute with Diabolic Intent. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. That's really cool. Steal it and immediately cast the Intent, uh, although that's the same amount of mana as Claim the Firstborn, so I don't know. Maybe that's not worth it. But yeah, I mean, I guess just playing within the space, 
if it turns out when we're testing this that, you know, witness is underperforming, there are other options. I think the question would just be like, how solid is this plan? Yeah, I mean, we know that the the familiar um, of in can play only call level or not, but um, mayhem devil like that that has been a deck that is you know competitive. So the question is, does diabolic intent add anything to it? Right? Does it find crucial pieces? I like that they're the deck you're highlighting here is also playing Trapnel Blast as a one of that is at least as a one of should be considered as something that lets you go you know to finish a game. Mm. Yes. All right, so those are somewhat familiar Rakdos based shells. The next list here, I do not recognize this. This is a brew. I don't know where this came from, David. What were you thinking? Yeah, here? I'm not sure myself, honestly. So I wanted to play Ashnod, uh, and Ashnod also rewards you for having sacrifice fodder. And Ashnod lets you play Mox Amber. So we're playing Ashnod, and then our, our one-mana sacrifice creatures are Shambling Ghoul and Combat Courier. And Combat Courier, of course, notably can come back from the graveyard. Um, if you don't want to sack it for the clue ability, it is perfectly fine to be sacrificed to uh, Deadly Dispute or Diabolic Intent. Then we have four Mox Amber, three Fatal Push, two Moonsnare Prototype. And then we have two Reality Chip, four Deadly Dispute, two Diabolic Intent. So that's our sack package and sort of a ramp package. If we're sacking Shambling Ghoul with Deadly Dispute, obviously we know that makes a bunch of mana. Then we have Emery. Emery's very cheap. We've just played a bunch of artifacts. She's also great with Mox Amber. And then Split the Power Stone, which is a card I'm interested in exploring because when you're playing Mox Amber, Split the Power Stone is awesome. Uh, three mana, make two Power Stones, and draw a card. And with uh, turn one Ashnod, you can actually, if you go turn two Mox Amber and Split the Power Stone it, on your next turn you have five mana for artifacts. Um, which is enough to either play and equip Reality Chip or cast uh, Might Stone and Weak Stone or any other five-minute artifact you have. And then I just have a one of Urza because I wanted to play Might Stone and Weak Stone anyway. Urza's tutorable with Diabolic Intent. And then two Cityscape Leveler as just finishers that are resistant to counter magic and can make use of the Power Stone mana. Either from the graveyard, they can pay for the uh, Unearth cost or they can just cast it. Which Urza is this? This is the, the meld one? Yeah, it's the three drop. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so that's like a light white splash for when we have Mightstone Weakstone. Yeah, I you know, do you need the Urza? If you're if you're gonna play the intense, you should probably play the Urza. If you just want to abandon the intense, you can abandon the Urza and just make your deck blue black. This is a bizarre pile of cards. So it's Demir colors, but it's a Demir artifact sack slash ramp. A sack ramp deck in Demir. This is nuts. Mm-hmm. I like all of the cheap things. I don't quite understand how we win. Uh, I notice you call the deck Diabolic Leveler because the Cityscape Levelers, I guess that's how we win. <laughs> There's no other way to do it. <laughs> but I mean, they, they are capable finishers, I suppose. Yep, that's it. Like, I almost want to see like a Herald of Anguish or something. Or just like more big things. Yeah, Herald of Anguish is a good thought. Because uh, then you have a little more to do with all of these little creatures that are knocking around, not doing that much. Uh, it is interesting to note that if you cast a Cityscape Leveler out of your graveyard with Emery, you get the trigger. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's super sweet. Emery doesn't often get to cast something that costs eight, but 
when you do, it's uh, good that it's that awesome. Uh, my initial reaction is just that the Urza and the Mightstone and Weakstone are, are just get them out of there because I've tried playing them and they're just not worth it and just play four levelers or something else big. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not play four levelers? What about a couple of Tezzeres, David? That combat career synergy that you like? Yeah, it's possible. I mean, you just start to run out of slots. Like, Intent forces you to play all these cheap creatures. And then if you want to play Ashnod as a second sack source with the cheap creatures to power up your Mox Amber, you're, like, you're just starting to run out of road. Well, you definitely have my brain cooking on uh, blue-green Emery Kinnon to put Cityscape levels into play, but that wouldn't be playing Diabolic Intent, but... Yeah, I had I had Kinnon as a possibility in this. Um, that that's another option. The other thing you could do is play the five man artifact that allows your power stones to tap for. Uh, it, it allows colorless sources to tap for an extra colorless and makes your artifact creatures more powerful, which would be good with combat courier. Eldrazi monument. Uh, yeah, but I'm I'm into playing something on five. Maybe multiple of those because you have that natural curve where you can play Ashnod, play Mox Amber on turn one or two, um, and then sack it to split the power stone, draw a card. You can even replay uh, another Mox Amber. And so if you if you can, you, you should have a bunch of artifact stuff to do on five. The reason I'm not playing Boat is we can't crew it. Um, but maybe the uh, Eldrazi Monument is, is something where now like Combat Courier becomes a threat. You could also think about playing... Walking Ballista as a sack target. Again, that's very good with um, Eldrazi Monument. The creatures it makes are better. It itself is better. And you have all these colorless. You can play a bunch of color sources, especially because you can now play the blue-black Painland. Sorry, it's a Forsaken Monument. And then, uh, okay. did you mean Hangerback Walker? Yeah, what did I say? Walking, Walking Ballista is not legal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it just double. We, banned, as, yeah, we, yeah, as we already as said. As we, as we yeah, touched on. So yeah, Forsaken Monument. And uh, yeah, that's, I mean... Definitely going in a very different direction all of a sudden. But Forsaken Monument, for instance, is much better than Kinnon in a deck like this because Kinnon dies to everything mm. and forces you to play a third color. This You're just going to have Power Stones lying around. And Forsaken Monument makes those Power Stones really good. Yeah. Like, you only need to have four lands in play and two Power Stones with Forsaken Monument, and then you get to cast Leveler. Yeah, that's more than a little bit sweet. That's more than a little bit yeah. sweet. And uh, it's legendary, so you only want to play one of it anyway, the Forsaken Monument, so... Well, you can play a couple. Yeah. You can split the Power Stone, one of them. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. The other one. Sacrifice my five-mana artifacts to create two artifacts that tap for two. Draw a card. Draw a card. <laughs> legendary. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Split the Power Stone if the, if the, if the card is legendary. Split the reality chip, draw a card. Love it. It's a chip, baby. Love to see it. So, yeah, there's some kind... I don't know if it involves Diabolic Intent, but there is a deck for sure with Emery, Reality Chip, Ashnod, Mox Amber, a bunch of cheap shit, and Split the Power Stone. That's for sure a deck. I don't know the other stuff that goes on top of it. Right, 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 right. All right, so that's a Demir Artifact Ramp Sacrifice deck with Diabolic Intent. One last Pioneer deck that emerged from the Regional Championships last weekend... Specifically in Atlanta, some of the American, uh, younger American pros, like Sam Rolf, brought a black-green Citadel deck. Bullets of Citadel, powerful card. Occasionally as a deck in Pioneer, um, there's a game state you can get to where you have a Prosperous Innkeeper, something like a Woe Strider, or 
a catacomb sifter so as you're casting this off the top of your deck you can also scry and filter away any lands and you can just vomit out a massive board sometimes even a lethal board uh if you're draining the opponent while you're doing all this so getting the citadel in play often ends the game immediately or puts the game well out of reach that being said it's a clunky six mana card exactly the kind of card that you might want to just have as a tutor target so what they brought was the citadel core but they played four copies of Diabolic Intent. Four copies, which was a big surprise to me, because uh, you have to commit to this. You have to really want to draw Diabolic Intent. And if you dig into how they're using it, well, it kind of follows the rules we talked about. Like, there's the proactive plan. I just want to develop my board, not fall too far behind, and then get the Citadel down with enough life to just win. But if necessary, they have a bunch of situational cards that much like David's one thought sees, one push, etc. Here are a bunch of one-ofs that might come up. Like there's a Karn, there's a Vraska, there's a Thoughtseize, there's a Meat Hook Massacre, there's a Callous Blood Mage. Ditto for the sideboard. I mean, it's kind of like a weird Karn wishboard kind of sideboard because you do have the one Karn that you can tutor for main. But of course, in game two, uh, you might just side these cards in, in which case, yeah, Intent finds them more frequently as well. Do they have the fodder? Well, yes, the Citadel decks traditionally do have things to feed to the Wolf Riders um, and the Deadly Disputes. So you're, you're playing Deadly Dispute and Diabolic Intent alongside each other. You're feeding Shambling Gas and Blister Pods to them. So unlike maybe past versions of Citadel that are trying to stick a Lana or Elf or Elvish Mystic and have them stay in play, here, we're just playing one-drops that, yeah, we're, we're very, very happy to consume them with either the intent or the dispute. Yeah, super cool deck. I don't know how they did. I am pretty excited to see, like, some results. I think this is... Whenever you have enough, like, tutoring like this, this is a kind of deck that can be improved by a bunch of iteration, right? So I'm sure, like, this is a San Rolf design deck. He will be tweaking this and finding the right configuration of cards. It also lets you attack metagames. If you, for instance, knew you are going to play against a bunch of mono green or a bunch of red black, you could tweak your choices appropriately. So, uh, yeah, it's super cool. All right, so that's Pioneer. That's just one of the formats. In fact, we speculated at the outset that it might be a stronger card in Modern. Modern has a little bit of pedigree for tutors. You know, we see Elliot Armory's Call played sometimes. We see Eldritch Evolution, Court of Calling, sometimes even Profane Tutor. So people started experimenting with Diabolic Intent right away. We saw some 5-0s in known decks. We saw some 5-0s in spicy decks. And I think, Zach, you've got some ideas for future directions to explore. So, Zach, I'm going to turn it over to you here. Why don't you walk us through Diabolic Intent in Modern so far? Sure. Um... As we speculated, there are some decks that we haven't seen a lot of or have been constructed whole cloth in order to exploit it. Uh, but then there's just someone coming in here and saying, you know what, we need to get back to playing Black and Hammer Time. And the reason we're going to do it is to play four Diabolic Intents. So, uh, you know, you, you just have extra copies of Hammer in your deck uh, on top of the extra copies of Hammer in your deck. Uh, but it can also be uh, Sigarda's Aids or Pure Steel Paladin. Whatever you need. Uh, if you need your Ginger Brute, you can use Diabolic Intent to get it. And it's sort of the premier um, small creature deck in Modern right now that's very much like a, a top tier. So we see it here with the, the full package of four Memnites and four Ornithopters, which is not always the case. Uh, no copies of Giver of Runes. 
and just using Diabolic Intent as a way to shore up the consistency in your Hammer Time deck. It's like they built their own di- Demonic Tutor. <laughs> Let's just play any random zero drop that we can feed to the Intent. Yeah. Of course, Manlice and Orthopter is also functioning within the strategy, but... Right, exactly. Like, th- th- this was a deck that was, like, kind of ready-made already to do that, and the question is, do you need this many tutor effects, right? Um, this deck is playing no copies of um, Steel Shaper's Gift, which is seen sometimes as a one, two, three of, usually one or two in the... In, in some versions. And so this just helps you get the equippers, the Pure Steel Paladin or the Sigarda's Aid. And that's maybe a real advantage. Um, I don't know if this is going to prove to be uh, a super useful tweak on that archetype, but it's good to see that it can be successful. Next up, we've got Rakdos Zombies, though. And this is, you know, th- there have been occasional zombie decks that do kind of okay. Um, Zombardment, uh, Zombies with bomb- Goblin Bombardment, as we're seeing here, was uh, sort of a flash in the pan thing for a little while. Um, there were some Jun Sacrifice decks as well that did all right. Um, so this is putting diabolic uh, intent into a very heavy heavy creature deck uh, with the advantage of being able to sacrifice grave crawlers or David's favorite shambling ghast. Yes, showing up in the modern format. All right, modern zombies. I see sixteen one drops. The carrion feeders, champion of the parish, grave crawler, shambling ghast, undead augur. So I am getting paid a little bit when the creatures die, but my assumption would have been that. Any kind of creature tribal aggro deck doesn't actually want to be sacrificing its creatures if they don't have to. So I'm fairly surprised that this deck was able to get the 5-0 with three Diabolic Intent main. Like, what are they searching for? Well, you can set up your Liliana combo, too. Right, so you have uh, Liliana Untouched by Death uh, with uh, Shambling Ghast and then Goblin Bombardment, and that's it. You just loop those three cards for infinite damage. So I guess it searches for both halves of that combo, so you have to play less of a medium to low impact four mana Planeswalker. But it also gets Goblin Bombardment, and your deck is disproportionately better with that card in play. Um, Having the free ability to sacrifice uh, cards, you have Undead Augur, which every time one of your creatures dies, you lose a life and draw a card. So you kind of get that Yogmoth thing going on where... Uh, all your crappy creatures get to cycle in and out of play, dealing one damage and drawing you a card each time. Gravecrawler makes it cost only a single black mana. Grolf's Messenger can be a big burnout. Um, uh, and Headless Rider also is uh, dealing damage to your opponent every time one of your creatures dies. So it's just a lot of uh, chip damage. It's like playing against the black-red sacrifice deck where you're like, oh, they're not doing anything threatening. And then you realize you've taken like 11 shots of chip damage and you're dead this turn. Also, Bombardment is the classic card where you only want one, but you always want the one. Right. So typically you have to play four, right? So you get to cut a full Bombardment out of your list to play Diabolic Intent. So I I think this is actually adding a lot of tools to this. Yep. Definitely looks very slickly constructed. Yeah, I forgot about that Liliana combo with Shambling Ghast and Bombardment. We had a whole week on this, Dan. <laughs> I built all these lists. I just forgot. I mean, it, you just don't see it these days. <laughs> Yeah, well, it wasn't a good week. I'm, no. not, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, and there's a there's a good chance that if this was a better better known quantity, that people would be able to you know pithing needle your goblin bombardments more frequently. You know, this is probably getting a lot of free wins where the opponent has no idea what's what's about to happen. But still, good to see it. All right. Next up, we've got aspiring spikes 
thing. This was one of the first decks uh, in that weird time period where you could play the reprint cards on Magic Online. They were legal. So anything that was reprinted into Brothers War from a previously existing set, you could play. So Diabolic Intent being one of those cards. Uh, this is a mono black rescaminator. Um, so it's playing the grief, um, uh, grief with undying evil, feign death, Malakir rebirth setup. So turn one, you can take two cards out of your opponent's hand and end up with either a three two or a four three. But on top of that, it's playing persist and archon of cruelty. Reanimator decks were trying to be a thing for a while in modern, and they they were pretty successful for a while, usually in an Esper configuration. Um, which increased your consistency with having things like um, Faithful Mending. This one gets to play the Diabolic Intense and a single copy of Unmarked Grave. It's good to play as few copies of that as possible. Um, and then we've got four Archfiend's Vessel, so you can persist that back and it becomes the Demon token. Um, I don't... It's not something that I would have thought would be good enough for the modern format, but it is something, it is just a body that you can play on turn one and you don't feel too bad about sacrificing. Uh, four Stitcher Supplier, four Village Rights, and of course, uh, Bloodgast is a big star here because it's uh, sacrifice fodder for your Village Rights and for your uh, Diabolic Intents that you get to pretty much have all the time. Um, so that's a big pickup for this deck. Yeah, what what surprises me about this deck is that it doesn't have that many creatures, right? There's just the Archfiend Vessel, the Stitcher Supplier, and the Bloodgast. Now, obviously, if you have a Bloodgast, because this is modern, you have fetches, you're set for life. You have as much fodder as you ever need for the Intense and the Village Rites. Stitcher Supplier, sure, why not? You know, happy to kill that, happy to sack that. You feel good every time you sacrifice that, but that's still only eight cards. Archfiend Vessel... I mean, we've been let down by that card many times. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that of the other available one drops, that that's the one that you chose. But I think it's just like you need something. You don't really care what it is. And maybe the possibility of like persisting it back as a 5 5 is just like worth slightly more than what have we talked about? Gnawing vermins or shambling guests, et cetera. Not that many discount artless here either. It's basically just bone shards. Like if you draw the Archon of Cruelty, that's just going to be in your hand for a while until you draw bone shards or tutor for one. Yeah, I think he got rid of the vessel after. I mean, I know he five would with this list specifically, but in the ensuing leagues, um, he cut vessel. I don't know what he's playing over it. And we can actually see so he reached the he reached the conclusion. You guys are saying we, we can see the tweet here uh, where he's talking about this deck, and there's no archfiend's vessel. There is an unburial rights and a splash into white. Um. Yeah, one of the big keys was to at least play one on Burial Rites. I, I knew that was something that people... And then he's playing a bunch more Bone Shards, which is what Dan is talking about, having more discard outlets. And more um, more Unmarked Grave. So you can just Unmarked Grave for the Blood Guests if you really need a creature. And then you're safe. There you yeah, there you go. That was clever. And the Stitcher Supplier is also like a faux tutor for Blood Guests, right? It gets to look at a bunch of them. Mm-hmm. Huh. So as long as you find one, like Dan says, that blood gas is many creatures, which is something we can't simulate in Pioneer, which is why it's a, a very clever use of the body of blood gas, which we're always trying to find uses for. Right. And I, I would say that uh, grief is a sacrificable creature to your diabolic intent, intent, assuming that you're going to get back an Archon with whatever you're playing towards. Like, that's a fine play. Like, yes, you two for one to yourself for the grief, but it's going to be worth it to get an Archon into play. It's a very, very powerful thing to do. All right, so that's Mono Black uh, Rescaminator. I don't know if that name 
<laughs> makes any sense. That's just what I came yeah. up with. Yeah. Um, and next up, we've got uh, from uh, Italian grinder Pygonti. We've got a really sweet Rakdos Trash for Treasure build. Uh, I've seen Spike was playing a mono red Trash for Treasure build, as have some other people. This has some incredibly sweet cards in it, and I got to talk to him about it. He popped into my stream last night. So these Trash for Treasure decks are taking advantage of the fact that Ragavan creates treasure tokens, which are artifacts. Um, Trash for Treasure is two and a red from Mirrodin. You sacrifice an artifact, and then you bring back target artifact from your graveyard to play. So what is that? Like Tinker, but from the graveyard instead of from the library? So. <laughs> Not, hmm. not quite as good, but uh, <laughs> if you can uh, fill up the most powerful zone, um, then uh, you get to use that. So we've got four Ragavan, four Voldaren Epicura card I know I have a lot of affection for. Four uh, Underworld Cookbook, but no copies of Asmore Anomartic and Dyson the Kuldakar. Because we're not trying to do any of the food synergy stuff. We're not playing any oval chase daredevils. Uh, we do have new card Scrapwork Mutt here in three copies. And one of the most important cards in the deck is Goblin Engineer. One in a red for a 1-2 Goblin. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for any artifact and put it in the graveyard. Uh, and then it's one in a red, tap, sacrifice an artifact, bring back a artifact of cost three or less. So Goblin Engineer and Unmarked Grave here uh, are, are there to put the large artifacts into your graveyard. Um, we have Persist to bring back two of the creatures and uh, two copies of Diabolic Intent, and then Trash for Treasure and Fable of the Mirror Breaker. And so he's settled on three specific cards uh, to reanimate here. Portal to Phyrexia. So that one can only be brought back with the uh, Trash for Treasure. Can't be persisted. But then in the ones that can be persisted, we have Sundering Titan and Inkwell Leviathan. Inkwell Leviathan uh, is, what is it, a 7 Shroud Island Walk uh, artifact creature yep yeah um i actually got to talk to him about it and ask about the inkwell leviathan and he's just made some good arguments for that it's just the best thing to get in a lot of matchups um can't be solituded can't be bounced by any planeswalker uh murktide can never deal with this card uh and it also has trample it is a 7-eleven island walk trample shroud sometimes seen in legacy as a reanimation target and then, of course, Sundering Titan is good against all of the uh, four-color nonsense decks. You're just going to blow up a lot of their lands with that. So the intent here is probably like part of the plan C, right? It's not the core of the deck. This is classic reanimation in the sense that you just have a lot of draw and discard effects. Um, tutors in the form of Unmarked Grave, and because we technically have enough between Ragavans, Epicures, and Scrapwork Mutts, and I guess you can second engineer or a fable token if you have to. Then yeah, why not try two Diabolic Intent? I'm not convinced that it actually belongs in this deck, but I'm intrigued. There's also four copies of Urza Saga that makes construct tokens that you can burn uh, on this interaction. Yeah. I think the trick about it is it's just like this is like a semi-reasonable shell of just having Ragavan and Saga as like a kind of mid-rangey aggro plan and you can uh, throw a lot of stuff on top of that like Fable again is just such a reasonable card that um, the actual mid-range plan a deck like this can put out is surprisingly powerful to a point where either they get stuck dealing with your uh, Saga tokens and then they get ambushed by the the reanimation side or they're 
focusing on dealing with the reanimation side and they get crushed by the the constructs. Um, so there's a lot of play to a deck like this, very similar to the Gyoza deck that I built and we'll talk about a little bit later. Did Pygati say why they were not playing one Phyrexian Dragon Engine for the Engineers? Yeah, I was going to say, there should for sure be a Dragon Engine here, and I am not convinced at all about Inkwell Leviathan. So. Sure. Uh, I think someone brought it up. <laughs> I've got a cut in my mind. Sure, sure. And I, I think someone brought it up and he said, oh yeah, we should be doing that. Um, Dragon Engine specifically combos with Goblin Engineer, but it also combos just fine with uh, Persist, right? Because it's entering the battlefield from your graveyard. And uh, for a rules note, it does not combo with Emery. If you use Emery to cast Dragon Engine from your graveyard, it goes onto the stack, and then it goes into play, so it doesn't fulfill the requirement of entering from the graveyard. Okay. Interesting builds. Yeah. All right, what's this next one here, Zach? Uh, oh, and the, that previous build probably should have had a Mishra's research desk as well, right? Probably. Because you're playing Saga anyway. Anywho, um, so now we're getting on to some of my builds. Very speculative, very first drafty. Uh, this first one, you should probably cut the three-drop Urza and the Mightstone and Weakstone. Uh, but this is uh, Esper Diabolic Urza's... Uh, I mean, the, the, the main attraction of this deck is to use Diabolic Intent in your Thopter Sword combo deck. Um, and there's also a copy of Hullbreaker Horror, because Hullbreaker Horror plus Urza is another infinite combo that doesn't require the graveyard. It doesn't require you to be able to activate artifacts, so you can actually do it against a Karn or a Stony Silence. Although, Hullbreaker Horror will just bounce those for you if you need to. So, uh, we've got uh, four Memnite, four Ornithopter, four Springleaf Drums. Maybe you wants to have the Moonsnare prototypes. Uh, right now, it has Esper Sentinels in there as well. So we've got at least 12 early creatures along with Urza's Saga. A small Saga package with Aether Spellbomb, Shadow Spear, um, and the Blood Fountain should actually be a um, the Underworld Cookbook, and that's to pick up uh, any of your important combo creatures out of your graveyard if they end up there. Uh, we've got the four Bi- Di- Diabolic Intents, four Metallic Rebukes, and then we've got one of Thopter Foundry, Sword of the Meek, Psy, uh, Three droppers, a uh, hullbreaker horror. Four droppers, a uh, the 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 really good one, the the actual combo <laughs> card. Uh, and then we've got some thought casts that kind of theoretically tie the room together. So this is very rough, uh, but this was just an idea I had of like revisiting the Esper Hullbreaker combo. Um, and Diabolic Intent can put together Thopter Sword for you. It can put together uh, Hullbreaker Urza for you. It, it kind of it's kind of combo glue in that way. I kind of like this. It's it's clever. It has the same core that that Hammer Time deck has, where Memnites and Ornithopters, they're like not an actual magic card in most decks, but here like it, it serves a bunch of purposes. It works with Metallic Rebukes, it feeds your Thought Casts, feed it to the Diabolic Intent for build your own Demonic Tutor, and then you use them in the Urza combo with the Holebreaker Horror like you're describing. It may be better to have Moonsnare prototypes in here somewhere and Emery's um, and possibly Thought Monitors at that point. So there's lots of different very powerful combinations of cards to try out. Uh, the reason I don't like Emery's is because then you really want to play Mishra's Bobble, and that's a lot of slots um, that you end up using in that direction. I guess my question here is, is there something wrong with like the the one-offs because i would expect that a thopter sword deck would play like multiple foundries i would expect that any urza combo would have a bunch of urzas but you've trimmed down to just like one of each for the purpose of tutoring for them 
Yeah, those are two cards that really caught my eye as well. Especially Foundry, like turning random cards into creatures is awesome. If we have Demonic Tutor that needs a creature, we, you know, blow up our extra Springleaf Drum and, and tutor with it. Yeah, that's a great direction to take this. As I said, it was kind of, this was in my fit of Urza, Meekstone, <laughs> Mightstone brewing. <laughs> the, the meld calls, calls out right. to us, right? And we, so we feel yearning. That's what it, like, that's what we were here for in this version. Those are the first two cuts. It probably should just be more copies of Thopter Foundry. And then from there, we can tune and tweak the deck, right? But uh, this is just a, a sketch where Diabolic Intent kind of makes sense because you're 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 tutoring for all sorts of different cards. Um, One of the problems with these Urza decks has been that you need to play four copies of Lord High Artificer a lot of the time, which is a tough card to play in modern, like four drop sorcery speed spell is just kind of tricky. Um, So you would have infinite ways to tutor for uh, Sword of the Meek, particularly because it's equipment, right? That's the easiest thing to tutor for. And then Thopter Foundry is the second easiest part of the combo to tutor for because it's an artifact. Urza Lord High Artificer in these colors is just is never been something that you've been able to tutor for. So sometimes playing less copies of that might be appealing or not. Maybe you want to play four copies of it because it is uh, such a powerful mana engine with your Memnites, Ornithopter, Springleaf Drums, and then you end up uh, getting Thought Monitor in here. So there, again, there's definitely a lot of wiggle room uh, with the slots, with the packages. Uh, just definitely cut the meld cards because nobody's going to let you do it even if you win the game. That was sad, but a valiant effort. I enjoyed your Urza meld day on your stream. Yeah, it was really fun. Um, the eight cast core was just too strong. So every time I was set up to meld, they were already dead and they conceded. So, um, but it is good to know that the like eight cast core of like four Memnite, four Ornithopter, four Moons, uh, Moonsnare Prototype, four Springleaf Drum, and four uh thought cast and thought monitor that core is so strong you can put any nonsense into that deck and trash people with it just absolutely dumpster them yeah it's it's strong enough to carry absolute dead weight (laughs) it really really is it looked real bad (laughs) i will say the three drop urza was really cute uh with reality chip because he reduces the cost of artifacts, instances, and sorceries by one. And so when you're playing off the top of your deck with Reality Chip, uh, that's enticing, is to be able to reduce the cost. It's like playing Ugin the Ineffable with Mystic Forge. It's just a really powerful combination of two speculative cards that don't see a lot of play. And that, I think that deck could also have a Reality Chip in it, the, uh, the one we just talked about, Esper Diabolic Urzas. And then hopefully Dan is excited for this one. Uh, this is... I jammed third path iconoclast in here. I don't know if that's the way it should be. Maybe we should lean into the eight cast core uh, a little bit more with this um, and play just blue black. Uh, but this is revisiting uh, Gyoza. So for those who are not in the loop of my incredibly strangely named deck, uh, Gorio's Vengeance and Urza. Um, <laughs> Gorio's Vengeance. Well, Gorio's Vengeance and Mercool. Uh, in a food deck was something that there was a player called Grilled Cheese MTG was doing. It was a black-red deck. And in my mind, I was like, yeah, we're playing these four Gorios Vengeance, we're playing four Emrakuls, but is there some other legend that I can play in this food deck that's going to fit? So uh, Urza kind of came to mind, and it was like, oh, well, that's kind of neat. You can discard an Urza, bring it back with Gorios Vengeance on their end step, then you have a big construct to attack with, and then if you play an Aether Spellbomb, you can actually bounce and replay your Urza sometimes. So I've done it a couple times as a kind of 
is usually a bit win more at that point. Like the giant construct and the one turn of Urza activations is usually pretty good. Dan was a fan of this deck, uh, just throwing Emrakuls at people. But part of the problem was, you know, you're playing Oval Chase Daredevils and four Emrakuls and four Igorio's Vengeance, and there's just a lot of things that can go wrong, uh, especially in a three-color deck. Uh, so this version is trying to take advantage of Diabolic Intent to cut down to one copy of Emrakul, one copy of Goryeo's Vengeance, and one copy of Oval Chase Daredevil. There's not a huge amount of creatures in this because hopefully what is going to carry this is uh, Asmoreno, Mardikadice, Nukuldakar, and Third Path Iconoclast. Uh, as well as Urza's Saga. So this is very rough, very speculative, but pretty interested in it. And there's definitely another way we could build this where it's just blue-black and maybe a little bit more stable. Uh, plays some copies of Ornithopter, Memnite, maybe uh, Emery, um, and maybe doesn't need to play the Iconoclast at all. I mean, the thing I like best about this archetype is the deck name is is just <laughs> Chef's Kiss. <laughs> it doesn't actually work. Gorios, Urza, and Food. Like, yeah, it's a little bit off, but it yet will allow it because it's so sweet. <laughs> it's spiritually strong. So in terms of the exact construction, I mean, obviously this is first draft, but I do think you're short on creatures. I mean, especially, it's not just the intent, it's also the four Springleaf drums. Like, you really need something to make those cards work every time. Mm-hmm. The Blood Fountains, maybe, like, between the Blood Fountains and Springleaf drums, I think those are where you'll find the slots for something else. I don't know what that would be, though. Like a creature, I think. I just need a creature. Yeah. I, I think third path iconoclast is a bit of a stretch for this deck. I just don't think that card needs to be there. It was just something that that kind of interested me. I do think that there's like a Grixis Asmora deck that plays that card. Uh whether or not it's as good as any of the things we've seen so far, that would be worth checking out. Uh, I don't hate the iconoclast. It's just like I think you need Epicures or something, like some other mm-hmm. creature you can put in, or even Regavans. As sad as that is to eat him with yeah. that intent. I mean, Blood Fountain's there because uh, it's one of the only ways that I've ever felt uh, very confident in not having Thought Monitors stuck in my hand. Uh, this may just be not a Thought Monitor deck. This may not have the density of artifacts for that. And cutting mm. the Thought Monitors may end up putting us in the right spot. Uh, or the Thought Casts put in the th- fourth Thought Monitor if we do have enough artifacts. Yeah, it's a tough balance too, though. Like, like you say, with the third path iconoclast, you only have twenty three cards that trigger, Correct. and we're talking about cutting several of them to play more creatures. So, yeah, that, that, that's why I was thinking it was a bit of a stretch. Lots of knobs to tweak, mm-hmm. and it's even possible that we could do a black blue uh, core version of this, where we play uh, diabolic intent, hullbreaker horror, and persist with uh, Urza. Persist can't get back Urza, but it can get back a hullbreaker horror as a combo card with Urza. So. Hmm. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Well, I look forward to seeing these in action. You do stream these on your Twitch channel. That's twitch.com slash mana symbol. C-Y-M-B-A-L. Maybe you'll already have played them by the time this episode is out. So definitely go check Zach's Twitch or perhaps his YouTube uh, (laughs) to see how this plays out. Speaking of which, uh, I think that's enough about Diabolic Intent for now, but we do want to follow up before we go on last week's card, which was a very interesting one. Arcane Proxy, the first Pioneer Legal Snapcaster-esque effect. David, you were kind enough to brew up three different lists, and Zach and myself got to try them. All three of these were Pioneer. Uh, We had a pretty solid, safe Demir build. 
We had an is it variation on that Demir build, and we had a wild and crazy Sultai Unearth monstrosity. <laughs> uh, that one was that one was quite interesting. But maybe we should we just start with a simple one. We'll start with Demir. So this is the deck that I played. And David, I think the way you described it was this is the cleanest arcane proxy deck you can build. Is that fair to say? Yeah, exactly. The nothing too crazy. All the this deck is full of cheap spells. Exactly. So uh, I'm blue black. I've got consider fatal push Thalsies, four of each, four ledger shredder, four evangel of synthesis, four arcane proxy. See the truth is my big gets, right? That's my big reward for doing the thing with the proxy. If I flash back, see the truth, I get to draw a full three cards, much like Sardis Agent. And we're also playing Founding the Third Path, which is another card that works with See the Truth on its third chapter, recast See the Truth uh, for a full three cards. Two Treasure Crews, because, you know, why not? That also works with the second chapter of Founding the Third Path. You don't want to delve too much of the graveyard away, as I found when I played this. I mean, the game will go on for a while, and the proxies, every time you draw a proxy, you're checking your graveyard, like, what do I have left? So, yeah, I think two is a reasonable number of treasure crews. Some removal eliminates, go for the throat, and I ended up finding a slot for a single recursive threats. I went with the Razor Lash Transmogrant over the fourth, founding the third path, because between Evangels, Ledger Shredders, and the self-mill, you have a lot of ways to just incidentally put something in the graveyard. So, yeah. I enjoyed these cards, so I was looking forward to playing it, took it into the Pioneer Leagues, went three and two. The deck was clean. It was very clean, except when it wasn't. And, you know, I wrote my notes like round by round as I was going, and like there were some games where I was like so frustrated by, you know, not having quite enough density of card draw. Like it, it kind of looks like an Is It Spells package with Considerers and Treasure Crews and then See the Truth, but you don't quite have the density, right? You don't have that opt. You don't have eight cantrips. You only have four. So there were games where I, like, I would play my first three turns, I would draw my proxy and realize that I actually haven't drawn any reasonable things to flash back yet. Other games, I have an abundance of riches. So I almost wondered if like I should play a little more blue card draw. Overall, though, it was quite smooth. Like I got to do the thing, you know, definitely once the variance evened out, like it was very sweet to play the arcane proxy, flashback, see the truth, draw three. You even get to trigger your ledger shredders every time you draw a proxy. It automatically casts two spells for the ledger shredders. So that was very nice. The issues that I ran into were simply that you know everything I'm describing is cool. It draws cards, it interacts. It doesn't actually kill the opponent, and this is I think what Zach and Morg were trying to warn me about last week you still have to attack them. And the only way to do that is cast a bunch of Evangel of Synthesis, a bunch of Ledger Shredders, whatever survives removal will eventually deal 20 damage. But it took a very long time. And I was kind of surprised at like how good my opponent's generic creature removal was. They had temporary lockdowns, got all my stuff multiple times. They had sweepers, slow sweepers. But it was still good enough because, you know, Demir does not really have reach. So I do think that while, while the core was solid, it didn't quite have that plan for actually winning. And instead, it just had, you know, two ones that drew cards, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, a card I've seen in blue-black shells that I'd want to try out is Shieldred as mm-hmm. like a two-of. It's a card that obviously gains a bunch of life with our card draw from Ledger Shredder and Evangel and Treasure Cruise. It's also a card that does damage to them. 
Uh, it's a large blocker. It's a card that's hard for people to trade with profitably. Um, so yeah, I could definitely see going to like, and then of course op becomes more attractive. So you can maybe like cut to 21 lands, add more blue cantrips, cut some of the founding of the third paths and like a see the truth and play a couple of shieldreds just to make more happy. <laughs> I don't know if I want to cut see the truth. I kind of want to go up to four copies. <laughs> you can do that too. I'm yeah. Like is founding the third path worth it? That's the, that's the card. That's the most questionable to me. If it's actually casting something when you play, I guess if you go to foresee the truth, then finding the third path is better. I usually cut the finding the third path uh, going to games two and three. I would cut at least two, sometimes all three. A, because it's the most like, it's a luxury card. And B, because actually you're a little bit vulnerable to graveyard hate. Like I had an opponent who brought in rest in peace and that totally screwed me. I had other opponents just incidentally with scavenging ooze, graveyard trespassers. Nobody resolved a hearse against me, but if they had, I would have also been in a lot of trouble. Yeah, there are some dependencies here. Like, it's not all clean. Like, yes, I can still loot away the, the bad cards, but I haven't won the game yet. And, you know, there's only so much a 3-3 menace can do. It's not going to get past any number of old growth trolls or whatever. So, yeah, maybe Shaldred is the answer. At least that way you can just draw your way to victory. Yeah, something we're thinking about. It's, it's a card we see a lot in blue-black shells like this, right? It's very good with Ledger Shutter specifically. And one of the things that I liked about this list is Proxy turns on Shutter all the time. So if we're going to be activating Shredder all the time, then Shieldred gets very attractive. Yeah, exactly. All right, so that's the Demir shell. Pretty good overall. We had an Is It tweak to it. Zach, you got to try this one. Yes, I did. So we'll talk about this one before we get to the Salti build, the crazy Salti build. So uh, this is Crackling 4. Uh, so I took this into a league, was pretty excited about this. So this is playing uh, Considers and Opts, uh, Spike Field Hazard. I, I switched the Strangle for the Fiery, uh, not Confluence, Fiery Impulse, sounds right. And I ended up playing the full four copies of See the Truth, along with Ledger Shredder, Founding the Third Path. Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Crackling Drake, Arcane Proxy, a couple Izzet Charms, and some Treasure Cruises. The idea being that, in like similar to the Blue-Red Crackling Drake's deck that you played before, we've got a lot of solid value cards here. Playing Crackling Drake instead of something like uh, Arclight Phoenix means we're less vulnerable to Graveyard Hate in general, which is something you were commenting on. That could be a problem for us. And I was playing, again, the full four copies of Founding the Third Path, See the Truth, and Arcane Proxy. So uh, the sequence, hopefully, would be uh, early in the game, you play Consider or Opt. You play Th Founding the Third Path on turn two to put a See the Truth into the graveyard, or you just play the See the Truth itself. And then on three, you can Arcane Proxy and immediately draw three cards, which is so sweet. Uh, I did it a bunch of times, and it was always kind of great. The problem was, uh, well, there was a couple small deck building errors. So I, I built my sideboard from scratch. I'm not as super hooked in with the Pioneer format. And the one card that I missed big time was playing Unlicensed Terse or something similar. Uh, I think without that card, I was a complete dog in multiple matchups and uh, could have done okay. That said, started out against Black Red and uh, they, I drew so many more cards than they did in every game. But they just had these sort of strangely aggressive draws and were often able to, like, Thoughtseize my three damage spells and then play um, 
a graveyard trespasser or something uh, along that nature would would happen um they would resolve a shieldred in a spot where i just couldn't deal with it and it would deal four or six damage to me and and that would be enough for them to close the gap but i felt like if with more experience i would have been okay in that matchup and with a correctly built sideboard uh then we ran into two really rough ones so that was blue red phoenix and then kari baumeister testing um like a blue red crackling drake deck that was playing main deck iconoclast and I had Iconoclast in my sideboard for this deck. I think they're, they should be a consideration for the main deck and possibly over Ledger Shredder. So one of the tricks that I was having with this deck, we would go off with these crazy turns where you would draw three cards and then play a Treasure Cruise to draw three more cards and you could play a bunch of cheap spells. But Ledger Shredder couldn't pay you off for them. Uh, and Crackling Drake doesn't have haste. Uh, Fable the Mirror Breaker flipping would never live, uh, which could sometimes give you a, a hasted Crackling Drake. The Phoenix deck had um, Lightning Axe, which was just a perfect foil to us. And they were able to draw as many cards as we were without bending over backwards to play Founding the Third Path or See the Truth or Proxy because they were just playing Galvanic Iteration with their Treasure Cruises. So that felt really tough. Uh, I I don't know what your uh, instinct is on a, a potential rebuild of some of the slots of this deck to fix those problems david but i i would definitely welcome your opinion on that yeah i mean that was kind of a concern i had in general i just didn't think the blue red list was going to be as good because they just have the natural kind of flow the the reason that the proxy see the truth thing is so good is if you can turn those cards into board effect and blue red gets to do that by getting free phoenixes um so if you're in blue red already you don't need to do this thing you know i i think Proxy will be will see play in white or blue or green. That's where it's a much more attractive card. All right, yeah, that that makes sense to me. And some problems are just much harder to solve with the red removal. Like the the creatures you're talking about killing, yes. I had no trouble killing them. You know, I had go for the throats, I had eliminates, but you have to like deal three damage to it and hope that that's enough. And again, that trade off we're talking about how I wanted more ops. You had the ops, but you didn't have the same density of interaction. So that's the trade-off. Yeah, it ended up being actually kind of light on removal overall. Uh, it felt like yeah. a lot of the time for for this format. Just, but a good god, if you want to die with cards in your hand, this deck is really good at it. Um, I could even see a galvanic iteration or two working their way into this deck at some point. But yeah, so so both Fable and Ledger Shredder felt like they were uh, kind of underperforming in this deck for me in terms of I, I just needed like a threat that. I needed more threats that did something powerful. Crackling Drake was fine, but it was like the only thing that it was somewhat difficult for them to deal with and uh, somewhat threatening at the same time. I mean, Crackling Drake is much more threatening than anything that I was playing in the Namir build. So I think that yes. that's the draw to is it is like this, this can actually kill someone in one or two hits, mm. which nothing in Demir colors can do except maybe Shaildred if we work for it. And I did run into someone who was uh, bravely out there brewing, uh, playing Is It Artifact Ramp stuff with Karn the Great Creator and Paradox Engine. Didn't see too much of what they were doing because that was that was the one the one match where I felt like I was the bigger deck uh, or the the better tuned <laughs> deck, and we were able to uh, smash them. But uh, they were trying to do some stuff. They were trying to do some stuff. All right, so those were the responsible builds, Demir and Is It. We had a crazy build as well, and. David, I don't know if you felt like we did justice to the plan of this Sultai Neoform deck. Yeah, I mean, 
the reality is I actually added arcane form to this just for arcane or I added arcane proxy to this deck for the arcane proxy. <laughs> I think my default build would not have arcane proxy in it. It adds a lot of variables because you need to start playing four drops for proxy to have targets, etc. So yeah, I, you know, Zach uh, bravely <laughs> took the bullets for all of us. Um, I was surprised that it went as poorly as it did. I mean, I, I would have guessed it'd be like slightly more functional, but if you maybe like the, the plan of behemoth plus turned into something sweet is something I'm very interested in doing. Um, I, but you could make a deck that's all in on that and not doing all this other stuff. So my initial feedback on this is the, um, so I have the original deck list that I played listed here. Uh, there's this package at the top end that's Tassigar, the Golden Fang, one Titan of Industry, and one Coma. And that literally never happened and never came close to happening. My instinct is that you should cut all four of those cards in order to put more cards at six to Neoform into and or four and or three. Uh, obviously, the only two drop you have to Neoform is Seder Wayfinder, so maybe that's unnecessary. But it just, there wasn't enough at certain parts on the curve to feel like um, I could consistently be able to neoform into something. And then on top of that, there were games where I'd get to this like turn three where I can neoform my arcane proxy into either Airtie, Shieldred, or Kalitas, and none of those are good enough. That may have been the matchup spread I hit of red-green, mono-green, mono-green, and grinning in this combo, which we have a hard time interacting with at instant speed uh and uh again they, they did like coco into two specific combo pieces in turn in game one just to kill me on turn four so like i guess that happens sometimes when you play a combo deck that's full of three drops and collected company but game two it just it just felt like there was nothing that i had that could really do anything like i had a shieldred in play and because their combo uses risen reef it doesn't draw cards so they drew their entire deck anyway and killed me um ouch yeah so that sucks so i'm wondering if i mean apart from this shell itself which didn't work out that well arcane proxy it's hard to come up with an arcane proxy deck that isn't kind of on the slower or dirtier side so i feel like any arcane proxy deck is going to struggle with decks that have some combo finish like the ingus deck or decks that just go way over the top like i felt completely hopeless against mono green when i got paired against it i don't know if you felt the same Oh yeah, uh, amazingly, amazingly hopeless. The is it deck I felt like I should have had a shot at them, uh, but that was the league where I just didn't run into Monogreen at all. So, so in the Sultai list, I mean, you, you played the full four proxies. Were they pulling their weight? I mean, you had a lot of two mana spells here to flash back, which is different from the other decks we were talking about. You had Abrupt Decay, you had Neoform, you had Grizzly Salvage. No, not really. Uh, there's a lot of times where I would use it to play an Abrupt Decay or a Fatal Push, and that just wouldn't matter uh, for three mana at sorcery speed to do that. It was just not not effective enough. Yeah, I was like kind of disappointed with the body. Like, Obviously, nobody plays Snapcaster for the body, but the 2-1 is kind of nice. In Pioneer, it didn't feel so nice. Like, It felt like a really terrible creature. Yeah, it, it couldn't trade with anything or block anything almost ever. Uh, it was really unfortunate that the proxy was like that. And again, like to do the thing on turn three where you neoform this into one of the four drops, it didn't feel like any of them were that impactful. Um, 
but again, with the matchup spread I hit, no wonder. Um, because the like by that point you're kind of already under the gun. And so the green red mid-range deck is just gonna attack around and kill you, or like you uh neoform into Shieldred and then they play the Acroan War and just take it and kill you. So I don't know. Uh, it 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 I think in my mind the 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 part of neoforming the perennial behemoth into one of the six drops or the tassiger into one of the uh seven drops was going to be able to happen on like turn four more of the time and it it very rarely did uh, it was very difficult to make that happen okay so based on what we've seen so far across these three bills I and mean, what are you thinking about the proxy what do you guys how do you guys feel about the proxy uh i was disappointed that's all I can say. I, I was really disappointed. But man, did I uh, see the truth. I definitely saw the truth a lot and drew three cards many times. If you like drawing three cards and you don't want to just tra- cast Treasure Cruise again, boy, do I have a high for you. Yeah, I mean, it definitely seems to be clunkier than people were hoping. Um, I know that a lot of people tried like blue-black-ish shells. I know a lot of people proposed like... Sultai delirium shells they all looked super even clunkier than the list we played and uh we did not see this card in any 5-0 so that tells you something yeah i mean it, it felt best i think in the blue black i think theoretically it makes the most sense there as well my league had ups and downs but i came out ahead i came out three and two and apart from not having a, a clear plan for mono green I, I do feel like i was in the, the other matches for sure like I could imagine 5 0 with this deck, or 4 one a bunch of times, if we just tweak and tune a little bit of the numbers. But uh, it's not as versatile as I thought, and yeah, the, the body mattered a lot less than I hoped. Um, I never cast it for 7. But even if you had, there was nothing to get with it in your list. Sure, yeah. Exactly. So, in that sense, like it's a more limited card than I than I would have expected. but. There may still be a path forward for it. I think it's probably going to be something demure. Um, so I think that's where I'll focus going forward. Yeah, I wonder if you can just like not play See the Truth or Founding the Third Path, use those slots on maybe more controlling elements and just let it be like a three mana, you know, two for one. Well, no, I mean, that that's what the demure deck already is. But I think you do need to see the truth. Like you do need that draw three. Okay. And so that also means... Because you, you lose the controlling amounts. It does not play well with counterspells, so you can't think of it as like a card that just supplements. It doesn't. I just feel like the blue-black deck in general would be, but maybe I'm completely on the wrong. It just feels like the blue-black tempo element is not... Uh, uh, it's not strong enough. Maybe you just need some other threats in there of some kind. Because Evangel of Synthesis and Ledger Shredder. Yeah, but that's a maybe a solvable problem. You know, yes. we'll, we'll just have to look at the card pool again. Mm-hmm. It's possible using it to double up on your discard spells and stuff like that might be able to lead you to the uh, Naraset Gaia Reach lock, but that is going to be difficult to use against uh, some of the more aggressive decks. So, yeah, I mean, like the, the proxy was probably more helpful with the black spells than with than with red, for example. Like I, I beat Karuga Fires by just casting Thoughtseize way more times than I would have expected mm. because I had functionally twice the number of Thoughtseizes that I should have access to. Um, and that's a new to Pioneer. That's something that like I probably would have lost that matchup without the proxy because all they need to do is resolve 
one or two things and then I'm way behind. So that was interesting. And, you know, against like the Gruel Bushwhacker deck, I had suddenly way more removal spells than I should have had access to. So that is like the promise of Statcaster Mage. It's still there. There is a path forward, but it's maybe a lot more narrow than maybe we initially hoped. So far, at least. These are our initial explorations. We will keep you posted on what we find. So that has been an awful lot of decks in both the uh, modern and pioneer format that we have proposed to explore, that people have been exploring and that we have explored. <laughs> I really I really enjoy the flavor of Brothers War. Uh, I like the set a lot overall, and I think there's a bunch of great role players that have entered both these formats. And time will tell how any of them can actually stick. But uh, we're also theoretically got to get, start getting excited for uh, Phyrexia all will become one because I'm sure it's like a week away from the new spoiler season, right? That's the pace nope, we're at now. Don't speak these evils. Nope. <laughs> Brothers War. Walked, focused on Brothers War. Show was over. We were testing Diabolic Intent. We got bruised for days. <laughs> I don't want to hear about the next set. <laughs> no other sets exist. All right. So we'll be back next time. We'll follow up on our testing results and we'll have a new card to brew next time. So Zach, David, always a pleasure. Take care. See ya. Decklists for this episode can be found at our homepage, faithlessbrewing.com. And don't forget to follow us on YouTube or in your podcast app to hear new episodes as soon as they drop. Support for Faithless Brewing is provided by brewers like you. Join the Faithless family and help support the show at patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing for Discord access, bonus content, and more. That's all for today. Stay safe, and we'll see you next time. 